Well, hello everyone. My name's Ollie, and it's a real joy to be here. And I want to add my thanks to uh, Vineeth and Simon and Alicia and the, and the tech guys. Uh, we really believe that this would be a, uh, not just a ministry to young people, but a ministry of uh, young people and especially young adults. Uh, and I want to start by saying thanks for watching church tonight. There's something wrong with what I just said, isn't there? I get, I get what it means, and it's totally appropriate that we are social uh, distancing, but church is not something that you watch. Well, then, what is it? There are lots of images going around, and if you are to look from the outside, you'd uh, perhaps uh, say it's not a flattering image with the abuses of its leaders, hypocrisy and, and division and the abuse of wealth and power. And then you take a look at the Bible and what it defines as church. I mean, the name literally means a a gathering of people. And it's kind of been corroded by our hyper-individualistic context and culture. What I mean by that is we say, I'll choose a church that meets my needs. Or I'll find a church that has the music that I like, that serves up the coffee that I like, that suits my style or, or my preference. And if it doesn't, I'll go somewhere else or I'll tune in to another channel. You know, for church leaders too, our church can feel like it's a product that we're trying to peddle. You know, I found this really hard in this time of social distancing that splattered all over my social media is every other church and, and what they're doing. And of course, my heart is so quick to compare and I get discouraged because, you know, other churches are doing this and, you know, I see other people doing this and I look at my own failures and I think, you know, I'm not like that. What's your view of church? You know, maybe you're tuning in tonight and one of your mates invited you to watch this and you're filtering what you're seeing by your experiences or your opinions. Or for City Reach young people, for our youth and young adults, I wonder, have we stopped to think about uh, what it is that makes us church? Who are we? Church is messy, uh, especially in these times of social distancing, and, and we need clarity. What the church needs to hear, and that's our theme for our series, what the church needs to hear is found in what God's word has to say. And so for the next term, we're going to be teaching from a book from the Bible that addresses what a church should be. It's a letter called 1 Corinthians. If you've been to a wedding, you might have heard from chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind. Or if you've been to a funeral, you might have heard from chapter 15, uh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? A beautiful book. Uh, 1 Corinthians was written by uh, a guy called Paul to one of the churches he planted. Uh, you can look this up in Acts chapter 18. Paul was uh, moving around on his missionary journey and he ends up in this uh, port city that's called Corinth. And he spends about a year and a half there uh, evangelizing and teaching and he plants this church. And there are other letters written in the Bible um, from Paul uh, to, to churches. Uh, but this one's special because this was a church that Paul had spent a lot of time with and that he himself had planted. Now Corinth uh, was an economic hub. It 
It was a, a Greek city that had been overtaken by uh, the Romans during their occupation. And it was uh, this place full of ideas and, and religions and cultures and, and travelers and entertainment. Uh, the town was mostly known for two things. Uh, firstly, it's sexual promiscuity. And secondly, it's love for debaters. Uh, kind of like if you would imagine um, a TED Talk speaker with the fame of, of Hollywood and, and Instagram. I mean, you could draw many similarities between Corinth and the online world that we live in. All sorts of ideas are marketed, speakers and influencers are, are followed, uh, and it's rife with sexual content. You see, what was happening in, in Corinth and in the culture around them was starting to seep into the church. So the church too was divided over their favorite speakers. Sexual immorality was, was tolerated and, and ignored. And social snobbery was, was commonplace. This was the context where this lit, letter was written. You see, dysfunctional churches are, are not new to God. And it seems that the, the church had written to Paul a few, a few years later uh, with a report of how things were going and, and some questions they had. And, and what we get in 1 Corinthians is a response, a, a kind of a pastoral response that Paul sends back to them where he addresses some of these questions and we see him address things like these divisions and, um, and sex and marriage and singleness and, and church practice and spiritual gifts uh, the resurrection and love. What the church needed to hear was inspired by God's Spirit so that what, when we read it, it's God's Word for us too today. And so I hope as we get stuck into this letter about a church who struggle with so many issues that we're facing, uh, that we too are going to get a stronger sense of what it truly means to be God's church that God will be doing a refining work in us, that we'll be better at loving each other and, and better at living and being the people that God has called us to be. Uh, so today as we come to the first chapter, uh, let me pray for us as we get into God's Word. Dear God, we're grateful for your Word and that you speak to us today. Lord, we're grateful for your church uh, and all that you've made her to be and called her to be. So I pray as we read this um, passage from Scripture that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak straight to us, uh, that you would convict us of any sin or wrong thinking and encourage us and lift us up, uh, that we would delight in being your church and following you. So thank you for this time together and we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's message has two parts. What makes a church and what breaks a church? So firstly, what makes a church? Imagine with me that you're going to write a resume uh, for yourself. Um, lots of people, they hate doing this, uh, sifting through your life, uh, I guess sweeping under the carpet the less flattering things about yourself, like your record network, uh, Netflix uh, binge. Um, maybe you got through a whole series in a day that you're kind of proud of but not really and maybe you sweep under the carpet that embarrassing habit and instead in your resume you like to uh, 
prop up your high school glory days, that uh, 200 metre sprint that you won and that year eight science fair that you got a prize for and somehow relates to your job at Woolies that you're applying for. But imagine with me that you were to write a resume for the church. What would you put in it? You could say we have Sunday services, we have a weekly community groups, we have a beautiful auditorium with a, a lovely cross, we love contemporary music with some golden oldies, uh, we have pastors who think they can grow beards, we, uh, have, we love our pre-service coffee, we love to preach the Bible, um, we've got acronyms for everything, uh, JTC, PVC, SOAP, RLGs. How would you describe the church? What would you put in her resume? What would it be? Well, at the beginning of this letter, Paul seems pretty eager to remind the Corinthian church who they are. Ancient letters would normally begin with uh, the author who was writing, followed by its recipients, and then, a, and then some encouragement. So uh, let me read to you this first part that we read before, and I want you to take notice of the way Paul describes the church. What makes up a church? You might like to get your pencil out and uh, underline them in your Bible. So let's go. A Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes a church? First, we are a people who are called by God. A people who are called to be his holy people. Let's unpack this for a sec. God is the one who calls his people. You see, we're not particularly bright or righteous that in some way we have earned our space in this club, that we would apply and on the basis of our uh, ability, we'd find our place. Rather, for those who put their faith, they put their trust in Jesus. God has chosen. God, they are the ones that God has chosen from the beginning of time to be his holy people. It's right there in the text. Those sanctified in Jesus. People who were once stained by sin, now made clean, made holy through the work of Jesus on the cross. But I want us to see there's also a sense of, of duty in this language. Imagine you're sitting on the bench of your footy game and your coach gives you the call up. You see, the church of God has been given the call up to be his holy people. We are sanctified, that's past tense. But also called to be, that's future tense, his holy people. See, this is the duty of the church, to be set apart, to be ambassadors, to be a banner of God to the world. I mean, this is what it means to be holy. It has this sense of strangeness or, or being different, of being set apart, unblemished for a purpose. You see, as we describe God as holy, what we're saying is that there is no one like him, no one that matches, in, matches him in his worthiness. The church of God is God's chosen people. We're set apart. We're called to be holy. And therefore, it matters how we live. 
it matters how we operate as a community and, and it matters how people perceive us as a church. Paul, later in the letter, he's going to get stuck into the church for some serious immorality. But you see, as he writes this, it's all in the backdrop that they are called to be God's holy people. And what they were doing was a terrible example of what God had called them to be, what he'd done for them through the gospel. See, the church are God's representatives on earth, a banner for his love and a banner for his rescue plan of the world. Do we act like we are the special people of God? And I'm not saying in the sense that we're better than other people, but in the sense that we have a calling, a duty. We've been given the call up. Paul then makes the point to remind them that they are connected to something much bigger than themselves. Remember, Paul's been moving around all over the Roman Empire, seeing converts and planting churches, and he wants to remind them. He wants to remind them that they are part of something much bigger than themselves. We read there, Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He's saying, you are called to be part of a group that's, you see they're together with all those everywhere. It's, it's universal. You know, I love it when I meet a Christian uh, and you instantly have this affinity with them. Uh, I found out the other day uh, that my elderly neighbor is a Christian. He's part of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And uh, I sort of discovered we... Um, I was introducing him to my uh, newborn little girl, Grace, and he kept trying to enforce that, you know, isn't life just such a miracle? And I thought, how can I spin this to kind of uh, tell him about my faith and uh, not realizing that I think he was doing the same thing, trying to evangelize me. Uh, But it's just beautiful now that we realize that uh, we both share this common uh, faith and Lord Jesus. And it's so encouraging to hear uh, this brother who loves to call on the name of the Lord with his church family. You see, to be a part of the capital C church is to join together with people from tribes, nations, languages all over the world, those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. This should humble us. This should really humble us. Our first instinct shouldn't be judgment or criticism or comparison of other, um, other believers, but love. And you know what? I'm tempted in this point to give you a, a caveat here about what makes a church right and what makes her wrong because of this doctrine or this practice. And certainly that is important. But that's not the emphasis that Paul makes here. Paul's really trying to say, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He's reinforcing this unity that is shared under the Lord Jesus. So let's look to what unites us under the Lord Jesus being quick to pray for and to champion our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul moves on then uh, to thanksgiving and encouragement. We see the next part of his letter. And he celebrates the fact that they received the grace of Christ Jesus. This is central to what makes a church. The grace of God that covers us. Let's read verse 4. I always thank my God for you. Because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. The grace of God is his free gift. Undeserved. It's given to us. 
you and me, we did not earn it. Our mistakes and our failures and our sin cannot disqualify us from God's grace because we were never qualified or never could be qualified in the first place. God's grace is given to us and it's done because of the work of Jesus. It's his work, not ours. And it's what, what he means there in verse 8 we see that on the last day when God judges the world for those under the grace of God, we will be pronounced blameless, righteous before God. That is a gift that is given to us. This is connected to our first point. We are made holy because of Jesus' grace, not our works. See, what a church is, is a group of sinners who have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. And in response to his kindness, we want to live a new life for him. That's why one member of this church is no better than another. For we are all recipients of grace. The church too often is perceived by her power and prestige and pride. Where we should be known for our humility and love and grace. For that's what we are. We're servants of Christ who've been redeemed by him, living with an inner peace, a love and a resolve, knowing that we are covered by Jesus' grace. And that should change the way we live, reconciled to God our Father. And by this same grace, God's grace, not by our worthiness, he has gifted us. He's enriched us in every way. Verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God has given us everything we need, everything we need to live in his will as we wait until he returns. If you're serving in a ministry, maybe you're a youth leader or a uh, an administrator or a carer or a worship leader, an usher in the, in the tech team or uh, an evangelist, a mentor, a community group leader, a host, a friend. Let me tell you, God has given you every tool that you need to serve him. So often I, I feel overwhelmed by the needs around me, of the, of the needs of, of this church family and the mission that God's given us. And I wonder if you've experienced this feeling too of, of being overwhelmed. You see, I've forgotten what the church possesses in her hand. You know, the other day I was sitting uh, at the dinner table with my wife Meg and uh, we look over um, at the uh, baby bouncer where uh, our little two-month-old Grace would sit normally and, uh, and Meg kind of looks at me and is like, where's Grace? And I sort of look back at her thinking, are you serious? She's like, where is she? And I'm like, are you serious? See, Grace was in her arms feeding. And she asked me this. You know what? We do this with the Holy Spirit. We forget the Holy Spirit is with us and he is no helpless baby, but powerful to transform and equip us for every word, every good work, every message, every good conversation we need to have. Friends, you are lacking nothing. You are lacking nothing for God to use you in this church. He has gifted us, yes, 
differently, but it's important to realize that what makes up this church is a people of God who are equipped for every good work, enriched with all kinds of speech and knowledge. So do not be overwhelmed. Do not be overwhelmed. Maybe some of you need a step up, myself included. And stop depending on your own strength and ability and, and maybe not serving out of fear because we're depending on ourselves and, and start serving and discovering the power of the Spirit to build His church through you. We certainly need some help in, in running uh, uh, these services so that we can join together as a community and we're especially needing some, uh, some tech hands. So if you can help, uh, we, need, we need you. Uh, come and serve. We, we believe that God has gifted us so let's build his church for him. And what makes a church so special is her relationship to the risen Lord Jesus. Verse 9, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The church is defined by her relationship to Jesus. One of her major functions is just being with him. The Bible describes the church as his bride. I got married to Meg in 2017. I know her and, and she knows me. I'm committed to her and I know she is committed to me. I love her and I would die for her. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves this church and he did die for her. And he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. We must see church not as something that we watch or something that we consume, but rather a people that Jesus wants to be with. And he is faithful to us. God will keep us firm to the end. God is faithful who has called us. There's much more that could be said about God's church, but Paul makes it very clear what's important to him and the foundation for his upcoming appeal. What makes a church? The church is a people called by God, joined together, connected to the universal body of Jesus, covered by his grace, enriched with gifts, and in fellowship with his son, Jesus. What makes a church? The church is a people called by God, connected to the universal body of Jesus, covered by his grace, enriched with gifts, and in fellowship with Jesus. How have you been understanding church? And what from Paul's list do you need to remember and put to heart? Let's move to part two. What breaks a church happens when we forget what makes a church? Let me say that again. What breaks a church happens when we forget what makes a church. See, one of the big problems with the Corinthian church was that it stopped defining herself by the gospel, all of what Paul has just labored to tell them, and they started defining herself by which preacher they followed. This is what breaks a church when they lose what truly defines us. We read in verse 12, there were quarrels among them. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And another, I follow Christ. Remember in this city of Corinth, 
culture would obsess over different impressive speakers. And so in a move to kind of gain power, members of the church would start shaping their identity in the same way. Instead of being the church of Jesus, they would be the church of Paul, or they'd be the church of Apollos, or the church of Cephas. The status and the giftedness of its preachers would define its members. They'd look at how many views their preacher got on Facebook and then kind of scoff and look down at those in their living room Zoom. And I love, I love Paul's sarcasm. I listen to this, verse 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer, of course, no. It's stupid. Remember who the church is. Remember what defines the church. It's crazy that we would compare and squabble over which preachers that we like. And Paul takes this seriously, and we should too. If Paul understood, you see, if, if what he understood of the church was just something that you attend, then if you have a problem with someone, if you don't like a leader, or if uh, you're not liking the way things are going, just go to another service, or uh, move community groups, or better yet, just move church. But the church is much deeper than an event than we just attend. Paul's shown us who the church is called to be. And division happens when we forget. We forget what it is that makes us and what unites us. Have you ever wished that you were in another community group so that you could be with that personality or that charismatic leader or you didn't like the way things were run? I mean, we're all guilty. See, what unites us is not, not the personality of, or the strength of, uh, of processes, but what brings us together is the gospel. And when we've understood that, every other member of the church is someone that we love and we want to grow with. How we relate to one another is one of the big advertisements of what people will see the gospel is like. And this is why Paul makes his appeal in verse 10. I appeal to you in the name of Jesus Christ. All of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I mean, how many different ways can Paul emphasize unity? He says it three times that we would agree that there would be no divisions, that, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul argues that a church should not be defined by him or, or find its unity in uh, anything else. However special or, or however wise or eloquent, it's not what defines a church, but completely in the gospel. See, a church made up of anything else loses its power. That's why we read in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, it wasn't Paul's status or ability or the ability of any of the other preachers that drove the church. It was the gospel. Imagine with me that you have a sailboat. Uh, imagine it's sail and it's, and it's rudder and the ropes and it's, and it's woodwork and it's aerodynamics. If there is no wind, however well built that sailboat is, it ain't going nowhere. 
See, the church, our church too, will break if we are relying on human strength, relying on our status and ability to transform people and not the gospel. Which brings us back to what it is that makes a church. I wonder for you, how well do you know this gospel, this good news of Jesus? How much of it does it shape the way that we live? See, the cross of Jesus means that our sins are forgiven. And so you no longer bear the weight of guilt or shame. The cross of Christ means that we are called his holy people. In God's eyes, we are righteous and accepted. God has accepted you. You no longer need to prove to anyone you're accepted and covered by grace. The cross of Jesus means victory over death and eternal life so that you no longer need fear what tomorrow brings. And the cross of Jesus and the power of his resurrection is the same power that rose Christ from the dead. It's the same power in you to transform you, to heal your brokenness, to mend relationships, to break you free from that sin habit is the gospel, the cross of Jesus that liberates us, that sets us free and fills us, fills us with joy. This is the message that unites us. This is, this is what makes us. This is the power to liberate us, the only hope to move us forward. And this is the reality by which we see the world and by which we perceive the church. The more that we look at Jesus, the more that our petty quarrels and divisions and comparisons will fall away. The Corinthian church needed to hear this. See, the culture around them was defining and dictating what made the church and what empowered them. We too need to hear this. We too need to make the gospel what unites us, what makes us, what drives us. Methods and, and styles and abilities and personalities and, and processes are important. But what makes this church? What makes this church is who God says that we are. If we ever take our eyes off this, and we start measuring ourselves by what the world around us, we will lose the wind in ourselves. And worse yet, we might go in the wrong direction outside of God's will. Reconsider who the church is. It's not something we watch. It's not something that we attend. Yes, we do meet together, and yeah, we're meeting online. But we are God's holy people. What the church needs to hear is a reminder of what makes her, the gospel of Jesus. So let the gospel minister to your heart tonight. Maybe you need to remember what the church is and, and remember your forgiveness in Christ and you need to have assurance of your salvation and that your sin is paid for. You have healing in his name. Maybe tonight 
as we reflect on the gospel and we think about the church, we, we need to be humbled. Maybe tonight you need humbling and uh, stop taking the credit for what God is doing. Stop relying on your own strength to do things. But rather, we need to come to God and realize it is only the gospel that's the wind behind our sails. It is the only the gospel that makes us. Maybe uh, there are people in this church that you are holding unforgiveness and division towards and that you need to reach out and reconcile knowing that we're called to be God's holy people and that the way that we treat each other is a, an advertisement for how people are going to see what the gospel is and, and we need to be united, perfectly united. We need to hear this, church. And if you're not a Christian and you're tuning in, we hope that you will realize that it is this that defines us. So let me pray for us. Our Lord God, we, uh, we thank you and we praise you and we're so grateful for your amazing grace that you would uh, take us, a, um, a sinful and rebellious people, uh, so unworthy and so powerless, uh, that you would, by your cross, sanctify us, that you would make us holy, that you would lift us up, that you would fill us with your spirit and reconcile us to the Father. We're so grateful and we worship you, Lord. But God, I confess that too often I treat church as something I can consume and not a people that I need to serve. Lord, we're thankful that we have access to you, that we can love you, and we have fellowship with the Son. And Lord, help us to just be with you to enjoy you, to love you, to worship you. And for those joining us tonight, Lord, I pray your blessing upon them, that you would be renewing them with a love for those around them. And uh, even though we're socially uh, distant, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bind us together close, uh, even when we're remote, uh, that we might magnify and glorify your name. So we worship you and we thank you in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.